Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks on a Move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 168. Well, just ahead, will recession worries put a damper on Workday's strong year? And if consumers get pinched, will that challenge the computer models that lender Affirm? And Heliogen, it's a fascinating startup generating power by a skewing smoke and employing mirrors. And it's drawn investments from Bill Gates and Steve Case. And we're going to talk to the CEO, Heliogen CEO, Bill Gross. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you don't have to wonder where the Drill Down podcast is. If you subscribe, regardless of the platform, click the subscribe button and follow us. That way you'll catch every show. And the drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We're going to explain the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. We're not just looking at wiggly lines on a chart, are we, executive producer Isaac Webster? Never. No squiggly lines here. That's such a lazy way to do business journalism. Oh, it's, look, it's a squiggly line going up. Now you understand this business. Look, it's a squiggly line going down. Now you understand that business. Oh, you don't understand anything. And the person that says that doesn't understand anything. Oh, it's bumping against the 200-day moving average. But shut up. Really? Well, that's why you're tuning in to us. Hopefully. Cor- Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Dell Technologies. Dell. Dell trades under Dell, D-E-L-L. And shares took a hit this week, but they've risen almost 63% in a year. Yeah. So Dell, uh, we, we all know the business. Uh, you know, They've got two businesses, really, within Dell. Their ISG and their CSG business. So the CSG business... Client Solutions, Client Solutions Group. It's essentially selling computers, desktops, notebooks, monitors. Then the ISG business is the infrastructure business, which is servers, storage and backup networking stuff. Um, some software in there a little bit. Guess which one's doing better? Mm, I would say infrastructure. Yeah, I think you're right. Infrastructure business doing just a little bit better. For Dell, uh, they reported quarterly results uh, um, in the last week, and their ISG the overall revenues were up nine percent, up tw- or I should say twelve uh, percent in the first half, nine percent for in the second quarter, which is saying things are a little slower in the second quarter. But overall, the CSG business, right, so selling laptops and, and desktops and monitors and stuff, that business was up nine percent. That's good, although profits were down. 
But the infrastructure business is selling servers and storage and stuff. That was up 12% better than the 9% of the rest of the business. But I think the overall question and certainly the tone of the conference call, uh, and Michael Dell, I should know it was not on the conference call, but uh, uh, Tom Sweet, the chief financial officer, was asked lots of questions kind of about what's going on in the pipeline, what are customers saying, is there a slowdown? Are, you know, it's, the, it's the, the never-ending refrain, interestingly, that's gone well beyond business TV, is are we in a recession? Are companies pulling back from spending? The short answer is yes. The long answer from Tom Sweet. As it relates to Q2 and how the quarter flowed, what we saw shortly, you know, the typical pacing in a quarter is that you know, it builds, pipeline builds and, and converts as we go through the quarter, more so as we get to the, the mid and late late in the quarter. What we saw in Q2 was pipeline, particularly in the client business, did not build and, and or it pushed to the right. And we also saw ISG demand, uh, our pipeline pushing to the right. So from a linearity perspective, you know, typically the month two of the quarter is when we typically would see um, bigger velocity growth in the pipeline. And, and we, quite frankly, did not see it this quarter. Uh, and what we saw, as we highlighted in our talk track, is just an overall cautiousness with our customer base as they're sorting through the macro dynamics. So, you know, as a result of that, I mean, clearly, um, you know, as, as we talked about in May, we had expected that we would see softer CSG demand, but we actually saw softer demand actually uh, much softer than, than what we had seen, particularly for commercial clients. And because of that, as we talked about, you know, although we had elevated CSG backlog, you know, we, we, did, we did reduce backlog as part of our shipment profile for, for client uh, in Q2. Look, as it relates to our cautiousness around enterprise demand or infrastructure, you know, all we can tell you is what we see. And as a reminder, since we have a the largest direct selling organization um, of all of the technology companies, we feel like we have a pretty good pulse on sort of current demand and, and environment. And we're just seeing more cautiousness on the on behalf of the customers as they're sorting through um, you know, spend as they're thinking through projects. Uh, we are seeing projects come to fruition. They're taking longer to close, and the size of the projects are, 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 are somewhat reduced from what we've seen in the past. So I'm just going to say now that I'm an old person and I've listened to a lot of these conference calls over many economic cycles, this is what it sounds like when companies are seeing business slow down. It re- they say things like deals are slower to close. They're getting pushed from one quarter to the next. This is just 100% not a positive sign, even though the numbers from the company weren't too bad. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Affirm. You know this company, Affirm, the the sort of a, a, a lender to consumers when they're shopping online and so on? I am aware of Affirm, um, and Affirm trades under AFRM. Uh, shares have fallen 74% since the start of the year, 2022, currently trading around 25 bucks a share a long way off from when it debuted um, and it's 52 week high of 176 a share. Yeah. A firm run by uh, Max Levchin, one of the guys who was one of the early people at PayPal and put PayPal together. They refer to themselves as the PayPal mafia. They slap themselves on the back. Max, not much of a back slapper, much more of a cyclist, actually. You know, he's a big time cyclist. 
used to be a guest of ours on, on our TV shows back in our earlier lives. Um, and I like the guy personally, uh, uh, which means I'm totally biased. Listeners, be aware. Um, uh, interesting, uh, this company's results here because, you know, they've, they've designed computer models to provide loans to consumers, and they think that their consu- consumer, their computer models will protect them from losses and consumers from lending to consumers who will default. That's really easy in a bull market. That's really easy when things are going up. But if indeed we are nearing some financial hard times for the economy, and we haven't seen that really. Indeed, the corrections we got from uh, the economic numbers showed that second figure, second quarter numbers were not even as bad as we thought they were. Um, uh, uh, barely a, a, a downturn in the second quarter GDP. Uh, uh, what, 0.3% now revised, essentially the, the, the downturn of 0.6% or 0.9% cut in half or cut in a third. In any case, what are we seeing from a firm, the people a firm is lending to? Are we seeing signs of stress from those people? Are defaults up or were there any other signs that they're seeing in their model? Well, according to CFO Michael Linford, no, they say things are strong and there are no signs of stress yet. Yeah, the answer that we've been giving folks up until this quarter is that we saw, quote, no signs of stress. Um, and that was something that was the first quarter we saw any signs. Uh, I think what you saw, though, in the quarter was all of our tools to manage that on full display. The reality is we, we solved the stress and we began to have to react to it. Um, so I, I don't know that we're making a statement about things into the future beyond that. What we saw today is extremely manageable, and that's just not the case for other lenders out there right now in these credit segments. We're trying to differentiate us is that we actually have the leverage to control it, and, and, and we did. And we continue to feel very good about being able to do that into the future. The, the statement around a um, macro environment really should be heard as uncertainty. Uh, I would politely challenge anybody who thinks they can predict where the economy is going to be in 10 or 11 months. And I, and I think that that gives us reason to be prudent in how we operate the business. Um, given the lead that we built, where we have the ability to be very careful and thoughtful about how we run the business. And it doesn't show up in, as Max said, it doesn't show up in us you know, throttling approval rates substantially, it shows up maybe in the timing and type of products that we might want to launch and being careful about introducing a lot of net new um, because we don't feel like we need to right now. We can be very careful and thoughtful about the, the state of the consumer um, and play with the lead that we have right now. So I think, you know, Isaac, this is a, 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 a note we're going to keep looking for, which is not the companies are seeing problems, but the companies are afraid they're going to see problems, so they start pulling back anyway, which, of course, just that psychology alone leads to a broader scale um, retraction uh, or, 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 you know, a setback in the growth of the economy. You would think. Now, who are a firm's clients? Who, I, that's the one thing about a firm I'm not quite well, sure the, the most interesting one that, that the analysts were asking a lot about on the conference call was Amazon. They have a, an early relationship with Amazon. Um, and, uh, you know, they, ah, I remember this both now. Sides. It's, a, it's a marketplace, right? So they're on both sides of the network. They're, they're getting mm-hmm. payment from the customers to whom they're extending the loans. They're also getting mm-hmm. uh, a payment from the transactions that they are enabling with the retailer. And so the Amazon business, they say, is still very much in the early days. But occasionally, if you're shopping on Amazon, and I think probably everyone listening to this show does shop on Amazon, um, you'll occasionally see the opportunity to um, pay in installments using a firm, a firm getting right in there in front of the consumer on Amazon and and, uh, many, many other websites. 
Corey, what's your next drill down? I want to take a look at Workday, uh, also with the same kind of theme of what are we seeing and is a recession happening and our companies and consumers pulling back. Workday makes um, cloud-based HR software. And Workday trades under WDAY, WDAY. Shares have fallen 32% in 12 months, currently trading around $167 a share, about half of its 52-week high. And this is a big company. It's a $42 billion Huge. company. Um, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, kind of amazing that this company's come up in 10 years and it's that big. Uh, they, so they showed a, a big increase in their business and quarterly results announced this this uh, last week. Revenues of $1.5 billion, up 22% over the previous year. And uh, subscription revenues uh, uh, also up um, uh, most of that business. We like subscription revenues. Why? Because... They tend to come back the next quarter in the next month or the next quarter, next year or whatever. Uh, now, the company is still losing money, but just barely on $1.5 billion. Um, these guys are, are reporting um, an operating loss of just $34 million. So just at the level where they wouldn't have to pay taxes, for example. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, Workday uh, doing well. Now, Neil Bouchery, talk about CEOs I like. This is a guy I like a lot because... First time he sat across the desk for me to be interviewed during the commercial break, he said to me, I can't believe I'm being interviewed by the guitar god of Fairport, New York. I was like, what? How do you even know? Do you, I said, do you know that I play guitar? I, uh, yes, I do. All right, well, most people I know don't know that. Um, I, I know we're near the guitar Flattery god Flattery gets you everywhere with Corey. The guitar god of Fairport, New York, to be clear, is John Beato, not me. But I had my <laughs> moments when I was a young man. I turned to Neil Bouchery, grew up in the town right next to mine that we did not know each other there outside of Rochester, New York. But wow. Neil Bouchery, um, talking about, you know, answering again the question, did you see a slowdown in June? Did you see a slowdown in July? Did, are deals being pushed out at all? Or are these strong results with 22% year-over-year growth? Is that a kind of strength we can count on, or is there a slowdown? He's saying they didn't see a slowdown, but they did see some slippage. Now, one last thing before we get to the soundbite uh, from the CEO. Uh, it's important to note that they're, uh, in a post-COVID world, certain business activities are happening, again, that haven't happened in a long time, not least of which their big user and customer conference, which they call Rising, which takes place in Orlando, Florida. They're going to have that event again uh, for the first time in many years because of COVID they hadn't uh, held this in-person meeting. They're going to do it uh, in September, and they're expecting a lot of business to come out of the return of rising. Here's CEO Anil Bushri. We we did not see a slowdown in July. Uh, we, we did have a few deals slip from Q1 to Q2. Uh, we are very cognizant of macro environment heading into the second half of the year, and so we are we are taking a cautious stance on hiring. But we, we didn't see any slowdown in, in July. It was about as strong a month as, as we could have hoped for. Uh, rising is a great opportunity for us. We always do better when we're in person. It's it's just that simple. Uh, it's it's a chance to get reconnected with customers, make sure we're doing a good job for them. But equally importantly, you know, as the product portfolio has grown, uh, it's a chance to showcase some of the newer products and and have uh, that customer base motion continue to thrive. So, would Workday be considered a lagging indicator of trouble to come or positive things to come? On the flip side of that. No, I, I guess I think it's probably more of a canary in the coal mine because uh, most uh, companies that adopt Workday software, big Fortune 500 companies and others, right. um, are already using some software uh, that's probably on-premise. 
So if they're going to switch to the cloud and they're going to switch to Workday, they're they're about to spend a bunch of money on the front end, even though they think it might save them money uh, on the back end. And so that kind of expense is the kind of project that companies just won't undertake if they're really concerned about their future. So I think that Workday strong results, unlike the earlier companies we heard from Affirm and Dell, which again, both Affirm and Dell had decent results, but expressing some concern about what the consumers, what what their customers were doing, I, I think Workday's uh, results really show that there still is uh, some corporate spending, a lot of corporate spending happening, and growth in that corporate spending. All right, coming up next, we got a really interesting company uh, that sounds like it started. You can sort of imagine. You could hear in this interview how they started this this crazy idea on how to generate power on the back of a napkin. It's led to this um, big startup with some big backers like Bill Gates and Steve Case. Bill Gross is the CEO, a guy I've known for a minute and a half. He's the CEO of uh, Heliogen. He's going to talk about this energy startup that's starting to make some waves right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Johnson. Right now, I'm joined by my old friend, Bill Gross. Bill, it's... it's um. We knew each other first in the dot-com boom. Oh, yeah. This is um, industry standard times. and, and Yeah. Uh, all it was a magazine the- called the Industry Standard. It was a weekly magazine, and I was an editor-at-large of, and it would put out issues during the dot-com bubble that were as thick as September Vogue. Oh, yeah. Even as thick as phone books. It was incredible. Um, uh, unbelievable what happened then. And actually, it's relevant today because uh, I think energy transition – is having its Netscape moment. Just like what was going on with the internet for the 30 years after Netscape's IPO, this next 30 right. years from 2020 to 2050 is going to be as big or bigger than that. Well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about Heliogen. Um, uh, Heliogen looks to me to be an, an, an unusual in a lot of ways for a publicly traded company because it looks a lot like a science project, not a company that you would discount the cash flows to figure out the value of the share price. Again, I don't want to talk about stocks, but tell me about the science project. Tell me about what you're what you're trying to solve for, and then how you're what you're trying to solve, and the way we're you're much, trying to solve it. We're much more than a science project now. When we first had the idea in 2013, it was to use computation, the huge advances of Moore's law, to bring down the cost of renewables. And I first pitched this idea to Bill Gates actually after a TED conference where he was talking about renewable energy, and I said, I think this is the angle. Moore's law is a secret weapon. For renewable energy, and he said, "I agree." And he became our first investor in the company. So back so then, Moore's it was law, a let's, let's back let's yep, back up yep. for listeners who aren't as versed in Moore's law as you and I are. But Moore's law essentially says it's it's actually a marketing principle that is held to be true. It's held up as a scientific principle. It is not, but it, it is a principle that the speed of a semiconductor uh, doubles and the cost of a semiconductor falls um, every single year and Incredible. continues and, on. And, and listen, every, I'm sorry, every eighteen months. And listen to how much it's happened. Uh, in 1984, you could buy a gigaflop of computing power, that's a, a billion operations per second, in a Cray supercomputer for $46 million. Today, you can buy that same amount of computation in a Sony PlayStation for $0.04. Cents. So $46 million to $0.04. Cents. Nothing in history has ever gone down as much as the cost of computation. So my angle is use computation to beat the price of fossil fuels. And that's what Heliogen does. 
So we set out to do this with a science project. We built a field of mirrors that acts like an enormous magnifying glass with computer control. And we create very, very high temperatures. And those high temperatures allow us to replace the burning of fossil fuels in the making of steel, aluminum, glass, concrete. And now that we've built a plant, now we're scaling. So now we're a real business, scaling, building this for actual customers. So what does the plant look like? So imagine at a mining company or a cement company or a steel company, right next door to it on a football field, we build a field of 1,000 or 10,000 mirrors. These are each computer controlled and they reflect sunlight to a central tower. At the top of that tower, it gets very hot, 1,000 degrees centigrade. So very, very high temperatures, which normally are done by burning fuel. But we create the, f- the heat from the sun and that heat then replaces the burning of fossil fuel in these factories. So we go to a factory and say, we can help you have zero emission heat at a lower cost than fossil fuels because fossil fuels are going up in price like crazy right now and people are looking to avoid that volatility. And is uh, this the heat then runs a turbine and the turbine, you know, creates what a steam and sorry, steam creates, turns the turbine and that kind of thing? Different customers do different things. There's actually three different things you can do with the heat. You can either turn a turbine and make electricity, like a traditional power plant, but you can also just take the heat and put it directly into the industrial process. Because we put our plant right on their premises, we can take the heat and go right into melting steel or melting aluminum or doing the mining operations. We also can take the heat and split water and make hydrogen. And that's really a great breakthrough that I think is going to be very important for this new revolution, which is a fuel, hydrogen, which has no emissions and which is transportable. We really need transportable fuels, obviously, for aviation, for transportation, but we also need something that we can move around the earth to move it from where the sun is good to where the sun isn't as good. And that's what you can do with hydrogen. And, you know, of course, requires the sun to be up. So it's a, yes. it's a daytime exercise, just like solar. That's actually one of our core competencies. Thermal energy storage. So the energy stays even after the sun goes down. So let me tell you about how that works. A traditional solar panel that makes electricity, when the photons strike it, electrons come out. But when the sun goes down and the photons stop, the electrons stop. Our system is different. We take the energy of the sun, concentrate it to a high temperature, and store that energy in th- thermally in rocks. Basically, we take gravel or sand or ceramic, store the heat. So when the sun goes down, the heat is still there. So we can keep on running through the night. That's actually crucial, obviously, for many customers, but especially industrial customers who run 24-7. So we actually run all year long, all night long, even on cloudy days, even on rainy days. Now, you mentioned Bill Gates, um, and uh, you did not mention yet Steve Case, um, uh, names that I would drop left and right if they were investing with me. Um, both uh, both guys, you know, been around the technology scene for a long time, both guys that, that you and I have known for a long time. Um, what 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 is it about how how does a conversation like that happen to get them as not just as investors with a checkbook but investors that you can name and so on what what are those discussions like well they both really care about civilization they both really care about climate change and they both are looking for ways to make investments where technology can be the differentiator to make something scale so we don't have an idea that takes climbing on lots of rooftops or just making changes to your lifestyle. We have something where it's a technology such that people don't have to change what they're doing. 
people love energy. They just don't like the pollution. So we want to make something that gives people all the energy they need for all the materials, everything that people want in life, but just avoid it through technology. So they both love this technology angle. And I really hit it off with them about our shared beliefs about the future of humanity. And they decided to go alongside of me. I'm really honored to have them. And they really have been helpful to the business and to our growth. A lot of people have been attracted to us because of their participation. And of course, even now, when you look today, I started the company in 2013. Now here we are in 2022. Almost everybody graduating from college cares about this now. Kids care about this. I actually heard recently that an MIT professor said 50% of all the incoming students want to do something related to the energy transition or climate change. And the other 50% want to study robotics and AI and how it can apply to climate change. So everybody cares about this now. And I really feel we have a mission-driven company to make an important difference, but using technology. Yeah, I was trying to talk to, I was talking to a friend the other day when I was in New York City about... Um, about how many oil and gas companies talk about ESG and how it just doesn't sound cynical. And I'm a cynical reporter. I'm a cynical New Yorker still after decades in California. And my friend, too much a cynic to believe it, but it, it really, and I'm sure some of them are full of shit, but you know, <laughs> you hear this ESG conversation coming from places you wouldn't expect it and you hear it so much. Um, it's gotta lead to more spending. Yeah, well, it's happening for so many different reasons. It's happening because of the war. Right now, the price of fossil fuels has tripled in the last year because of the war. It's happening because people care about energy security, like renewables and the geologic lottery. There's a lottery that goes on by the piece of land you have. Does it have oil or gas underneath it? Well, that can end with renewables because renewables are very evenly distributed around the earth. And then, of course, renewables stop the pollution. And the pollution is getting bad. It's, it's not just that it's getting warm and it's getting uncomfortable. There's going to be a billion people on planet Earth living in lethal conditions by 2030 if we don't do something. It's not just like this is an inconvenience. It's actually dangerous. And we're having temperatures like that right now in Pakistan, in India, in Iraq, where people, it's getting to be 50 degrees centigrade and crazy, crazy problems with this kind of heat and drought. So I really feel like we're doing something that can be important for society. When you guys, uh, you guys went public through a SPAC, um, uh, which meant you put predictions out there about the size of the business. And initially those predictions had um, some real big numbers. I mean, going from 8 million in revenue in 2021 to getting to, you know, almost what, 569 million in revenue. I don't have to go almost um, in 2024, just some really spectacular triple digit growth year, you know, uh, year after year after year. Um, we also know, no, I don't mean to uh, uh, offend, but most of the comp SPACs that went public have already missed their targets dramatically. Um, and I wonder, you know, when you put those numbers out there like that, you've been around the block. Um, what, how do you feel about those numbers now? And I'm not asking well, like about their, their veracity. I guess, I guess I'm just sort of asking about does the growth, the game at a certain point was put the numbers out there, try to show growth that would make people want to buy into SPAC. And I wonder just how, if, you know, what are the, what, how do you feel about that kind of growth now? We are very thrilled that of the SPACs that have gone out there, we have hit all of our numbers so far. We plan to continue, of course. Why do I feel that we can do that? This total addressable market is so large, it's practically silly. The number of companies, mining companies, steel companies, cement companies that have made commitments to reduce their emissions by 2030, by 2040, and by 2050 is so large we have no problem finding customers. It's all about our execution. We yeah. have to scale our company. 
to deliver these products on time and on budget. And that's everything that we're focused on. So if we execute, we can deliver against those numbers. We're really, really pleased to show the world that. So uh, I asked the question to, to get to the follow-up, which is one of the lowest hanging fruit, you know, I want everyone wants you to be successful here. Uh, what are the lowest hanging fruit that will allow you to do that? How do you target of all with so many opportunities with such a, a giant TAM? What are the, the, the things that are going to be the most successful for you in the short run? Probably mining. And I'll tell you why. We already have an investor with as ArcelorMittal, the biggest steel company in the world, and they are mining ore and making steel at a crazy rate. We already have a relationship with Rio Tinto, one of the biggest mining companies in the world. And the reason why mining is so valuable right now, just think about lithium as one example. Lithium has gone up in value from $13,000 a ton just a few months ago to $70,000 a ton. Why? The electrification of transportation. So everybody is looking to get more minerals out of the ground to make the materials that the world wants. But those minerals take energy and they take thermal energy, which is our specialty. So mining companies are racing to make those materials in a green way. So if there's any area that we're going to focus, it's mining. And where does that mean? Basically, Southwest United States, Australia, and Chile. That's where a lot of the mines are. And we have a great partner with Woodside Energy for Australia. Woodside Energy is the biggest natural gas company in Australia. Of and course. They, they are really, really excited to help us attack the mining industry in Australia. And I think that's going to be the biggest opportunity for us. So that's where we'll focus for right now. So, but I, I'm going to push back and, and, and let me explain to you why you're wrong, Bill. No, okay, tell me. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but what, what you said, what you just told me is that mining is a big opportunity because lithium's valuable or well, that- li Lithium um, or, and everything. Lithium, copper, okay. everything. Okay. But, or, or the, the desire to be green is, is greater in mining than it is somewhere else. And I would argue that it is, it is not. Um, uh, that the 100% desire is, is, is across the board. So what is it about mining that makes it an easier thing for you to do? I, I would say it's that the mining companies have made commitments to reduce their emissions, say, by 30% by 2030. And, and the only way they're going to do it. Call. Yeah. The only way they're going to do it, though, is if they use if they use less fossil fuels. So we're helping them do that. But here's the other reason why mining is so great. It's heat. They need lots of thermal energy. We have a huge advantage with thermal energy over electricity. Of course, we can make electricity with a turbine, but you can do that with fossil fuels very easily. But you get a conversion efficiency when you go from heat to electricity. But if you stay as heat, you don't have any losses when you go from heat to heat. You just take the heat from the sun, concentrate it, and go directly into their process. So we have a, a big fundamental competitive advantage in delivering carbon-free heat to these companies, and they really want it. The biggest reason, as you said, maybe you're, you're a skeptic that they want to reduce their emissions. The bigger reason, though, is they want to save money. Mining is a, is a thin margin industry. Yeah. Uh, 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 energy is their biggest expense. So if they can cut their energy bill, then that really makes a big difference to their bottom line. So we're working with these companies to help them not just have zero emissions, but also cut their fossil fuel bill. And that's very important to them. It's going to be a cool story to watch. Bill Gross is the CEO of Halogen, uh, Heliogen. I should say, uh, and really glad to have you. Thank, oh, thank you. you. Thank you so much. I really Good appreciate it. Good to see it. you after so, so long. Oh, really great. Thank you. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect direct, directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot -E com. And podcasts aren't only for your phone. You can listen to the Drill Down podcast on your smart speaker, 
by saying, hey, smart speaker. You know, whatever the smart speaker is, like the one sitting behind me whose name I can't say out loud because it'll start talking to me, but it's spelled A-L-E-X-A. You can say, hey, A-L-E-X-A. Play the Drill Down podcast and you'll pick up right where you left off the last time. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. And we're back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about heliogen. Isaac, uh, I think this is one of those times when you look at the balance sheet and the most interesting number is how much money they've spent on this thing already as they're just kind of getting off the ground with this business. Uh, the accumulated deficit for heliogen is $245,765,000. That's the accumulated deficit, all the money they've sunk into this. Thing up to this point, um, uh, and that's with you know revenues in the last quarter of just uh, two billion dollars. I'm sorry, two million dollars. Excuse me. So they have sunk a lot of money into this thing. For some reason, I thought that number was going to be higher, though, given what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Again, well, and, and so with two million and two point four million in revenues and two hundred forty six million, if you want to call it, uh, rounds it up, two hundred forty six million dollars in an accumulated deficit, um, they've got a long way to go to make that money back. Very true. But inter- interesting concept. Uh, uh, certainly, we, we wish them well. Are right, you been listening to the Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is the editor who makes this thing sound so bad, even when my microphone stinks. We're grateful for Ben. We're grateful for all of you. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network.